In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hi, this is the Oil & Gas HSE Podcast, a show for oil and gas professionals dedicated to bringing their people home safe every day. This is episode 33. Joining me today is my special guest host, all the way over from his podcast at Oil & Gas This Week, we got Jay Corley. What's going on, HSNEers? We also are in the Houston office of the National MS Society. We've got Justin Martin here and Micah Love. Welcome, guys. Hey. Hello. Thanks Thanks for for having us. Yeah, great. Um... So I just want to kind of start off and, you know, tell us what the, what is the National MS Society? What do y'all do and why are we here talking about it today? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, very simply put, you know, we're here to find a cure for multiple sclerosis um, at the most simple, fundamental, um, you know, rationale for the, uh, our existence. And uh, currently there's not a cure for multiple sclerosis. And um, uh, we are the largest public funding uh, funded organization that provides research to uh, multiple sclerosis. So um, it's very important uh, what we're doing with the uh, the events, our fundraising events, but also our awareness and research. Um, and those are kind of our main points of focus is uh, research um, and fundraising um, and and uh, finding a cure for MS. And, and what is multiple sclerosis? What kind of a yeah? So it's is it? it's a it's a very hard disease to diagnose. Um, it affects everybody differently, but at the simplest you know core, it's an unpredictable disabling disease of the central nervous system, um, and basically it disrupts the flow of information from the brain between the brain and the body. Um, I always kind of describe it as a layman terms as um thinking about it like an extension cord where the orange rubber that surrounds the uh, the inner uh, wiring uh, gets frayed and exposed and expose that um, inner wiring and it just disrupts the, any kind of informational flow to the brain so it can be anything from temporary paralysis to loss of vision to eating disorder any, any kind of thing that affects the central nervous system yeah so i've been in, i've been actually been involved with the the bpms 150 the ms society for several years now with the with the ride and I was surprised at how many people actually knew that were affected by it. They either knew somebody that had it or were actually diagnosed themselves. So it's something that it doesn't get a lot of talk just in the office. I mean, it's not something people broadcast, but you'd be surprised once you get involved with an organization like this, how many people come out of the woodwork and actually are affected by it in some way, shape or form. Well, and even talking about the diagnosis too, and, and not to be, scare anybody, but um, you know, it can be, uh, you hear a lot of stories of people that say, you know, uh, they woke up with uh, their, you know, uh, you know, temporary paralysis of their arm, or they had some tingling in their arm, like you may have slept on it wrong, or, you know, nobody ever goes straight to, oh my gosh, I have multiple sclerosis because I woke up with some tingling in my toes or my fingers, but then continual, you know, symptoms of that day in and day out, and then it becomes, oh, maybe this is an issue. So, you know, just going in and getting tested for MS isn't something that most people typically, you know, go in on a regular basis and do um, symptoms that can start through MS. So um, it's just very challenging to uh, to diagnose and to, even for the person living with it to, to think that that's something that they are, you know, that they have. Yeah, well, our audience is primarily oil field. So even if you have something debilitating, you're going <laughs> to get out there and do your job and probably not see the doctor for the next you know, five, mm-hmm. 10 years until it. All right, I have to go in. Right. Yeah. So the reason we're here is because of the BP MS-150, which is a, I think it's BP's largest fundraising event of the year. It's coming up here at the end of April. Can you tell us a little bit about that and 
what it is, why y'all do it, and why BP so involved with it. Yeah, so <clears throat> the MS Society actually has over 80 uh, Bike MS is what the series is called. Events that fundraise for the MS one um, for the B, uh, Multiple Sclerosis Society, but the BPMS one hundred and fifty is the largest fundraising uh, multiple sclerosis event in the nation. So we're very proud and uh, to have that title, um, and we raise about sixteen million dollars. That's our goal for this year. We raised just over sixteen million last year. It's a lot of fundraising. Quite a bit, especially <laughs> when the number two ride is you know somewhere around ten eleven million dollars. So you know. We're quite above the the number two uh, event even within the organization. So, and it's just a testament to um, you know are the those supporters and constituents that uh, we always like to think Texas is bigger and better, you know, and everything. <laughs> so that's just one one reason to prove it. Our people that uh, just step up and go just above and beyond what um, a lot of other people in the country are doing. Sixteen million dollars and, and uh, around thirteen thousand cyclists will 13, be thirteen thousand cyclists. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, how many staff do y'all need for an event like that? You know, it's funny we talk about staff. We really only have about maybe fifteen to twenty staff members. Um, we really rely heavily on our volunteer base, and that's in the thousands of, of, of uh, volunteers that come out and help. Not just that weekend, but um, the weeks leading up to the prep, and then you know the closing down and, and uh, putting everything away and getting all you know the nice bow tied on it to end the event. So um, over a thousand, uh, three three. 4,000 volunteers because um, we are a small staff of resources. That's a, that's a lot of volunteers and a lot of skilled volunteers. I mean, you've got ride marshals out there making sure everybody's safe. You've got paramedics that are ride marshals that are that are helping out just in their in their spare time. I'm, I've, I've always been impressed with the level of attention that safety gets. I mean, y'all have huge safety awards and milestones that your teams have to meet. I mean, it's a it's a long ride. Everybody's out on the road. So it's it's a highly hazardous environment you're putting these cyclists in. Well, and we, you know, we want to be back every year. That's our main thing. I mean, it's such a large fundraising event that it's imperative that we, you know, follow the rules and, and do the right things that we're supposed to do so that these communities and law enforcement uh, will, will have us back uh, and, and enjoy us. And it, we become a relationship, not just a, a, pain, a pain in their you know, side that we're going to have, you know, 13,000 cyclists scrolling through a, a small community on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, you just want people to understand what you're out there doing. Um, and and uh, yeah, safety is is a is a huge concern for us, and uh, we do pride ourselves on um, having those those nurses and uh, you know medical teams that are on the route at every break point at the finish line at lunches uh they're on the route we've got bike police um you know it goes the list goes on and on ride marshals good ambassadors of the road um to help people change a flat tire there's a lot of people on the ride that don't know how to change a flat tire and that's okay (laughs) we've got support staff out there to be able to help folks like that so just from start to finish we really do take a a, an extra uh step in care uh, of safety because we do have to be able to have this event year in year out every year um, to be able to raise that kind of money that we do for people living with MS. Yeah. And the communities, the communities I've, I've ridden through on the BPMS 150, they've been really accepting. I mean, they'll, you know, huge bubbles and, and it's like a parade coming through and there's the one or two drivers that just, I guess, forgot that it was BPMS 150 weekend that just cannot stand y'all us being out on the road <laughs> yeah that's true and, and we do you know it's funny you know we uh we coordinate with a lot of the small local uh papers and any kind of media outlets that we can in those small rural areas to let people know what roads we're going to be on kind of the time that we're going to be there so we do try to give a public awareness notice uh for those folks in town but more importantly to let them know that we're coming through to avoid you know certain areas of traffic or to be off the road at those times but more importantly to have them out in the front yard and cheering riders on and, and becoming a part of the event and not letting it be you know 
you know, something that passes by your front door. Um, and I think we've gotten a lot of responses. I mean, on the ride, you'll see we've got fiddlers and musicians <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, lawnmower and groups out there. And uh, it's just uh, all, all facets of life. And so for the riders, that really gives them an extra piece of experience that, you know, I don't think you'd get on a lot of other uh, events. So bringing it back to the oil and gas industry, why, why is this such a big event for BP? I mean, not speaking for BP, but why do you think that they're so involved with this event? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they've been passionate with this event for many, many years. Uh, and uh, it's just a testament to their community involvement and what they want to do for the, the good of humanity, which is, you know, finding a cure for MS. They, uh, you know, the 10 years they've invested more than $90 billion in the U.S., uh, more than any other energy company. Uh, and they are the leading producer of oil and gas uh, enough energy annually to light nearly the entire country for a year. Uh, they employ about 14,000 people across the country, about 130,000 jobs uh, throughout its uh, business activities, and just good humanitarians all around and just know um, the good causes to fight. So, oh, My- Micah, we've got you on the microphone as well. What's your involvement with the MS Society? Kind of involved in a roundabout way to where I have MS. Okay. Um, so that kind of is a free pass to be a part of the MS Society, I guess you would say. And you're one of the the MS Society's MS ambassadors. Yes, I'm an ambassador. So um, I go out and speak to companies such as BP to tell them about the personal story of MS um, as a person with MS and still surviving and going on with MS. Um, That's something I enjoy doing also, um, you know, and speaking to those larger groups and telling them, hey, what you're doing is for a good cause. And um, it it represented me or anybody else who's going through um, the, the struggle of MS to where seeing the progression from when it started to now on the uh, medication side, it can't be done without the money that they're raising. So it, it helps out a lot. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. You were talking to Jake earlier at lunch about the the different the changes you've gone through between what, when you first were diagnosed those medications versus what you're dealing with today. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll take it back to the beginning to where I was diagnosed in 1999 um, during the uh, Christmas break from college. I was a junior in college, you know, the young 19, 20-year-old, just having a good time, just happy-go-lucky. Nothing can stop you. And I was at home for Christmas break when I played basketball, you know, just the, the college guy thing to do. For some reason, when I came back home, it was, I just felt terrible. It was like a numbness. It was a, uh, it, I just didn't have the balance I had before. And I was at home from, for Christmas. Um, so I went to Stephen F. Austin to go Lumberjacks. <laughs> and so uh, came home. My mom was like, well, you know, it may be a strained muscle or something, so go ahead and take a shower, you know, and see what happens. Because I, I don't complain about pain at all, but it was something that wasn't right. So I took a shower. It was a hot shower, and it made it worse. So when I got out, I was like, Mom, something's wrong. I have to do something else. You know, we'd go to the hospital or something. She said, well, let's just wait and see. Because it wasn't anything to where it was, like, just debilitating to where I was in excruciating pain where I would have to go to the ER because it was, like, immediate pain. Just, it just something wasn't right. Going forward, uh, a friend of mine had a has a um, physical therapy clinic. He opened the clinic up. The doctor looked at me. He said, hey, it's, it's something. You need to go to a neurologist. Went to a neurologist. They did what they do at the neurology um, office. Whenever you go there, they do sobriety tests. Like they have you walk in a straight line, heel to toe, which I tried to practice that by being in college. Make sure was, <laughs> I can do it well. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Not really. But just on the side, of, um, to, and also make you touch your nose and touch the doctor's finger, just going back and forth and trying to figure out exactly you know if you have this um this as as we were saying before the the lack of communication between your brain and your body and i'm assuming that i failed that sobriety test um or sobriety similar to sobriety test and then um the doctor was like well okay so we see these where your body is functioning you don't have the balance you don't have the um the uh, 
the stability you, sh- you should have as a 19, 20-year-old college right. student playing basketball. So whenever um, he said, well, the next step is a spinal tap, which is a, a procedure where you lay in the bed in a fetus position, and then they take, uh, I would say, a needle the size of a number two pencil, and they go into to your spine. and t- So a painless operation. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's nothing. <laughs> it's like going to the dermatologist, you know, just getting... <laughs> Just the evaluation. Um, um, but the thing is, I, I remember this vividly because it's scary because he said, well, when we do this, we're not going to put you to sleep. We're going to dent the area around your spine or just the skin. But don't move because you move, you might cause paralysis. So it's really up to me not to, well, it's up to me to continue to walk when I leave this place. But it hurts very bad. I mean, somebody's sticking this needle into your spine because you're curled up so they can make more space in your spine so they can get the fluids out. And um, whenever they finish, it's like seven vials that are probably like eight inches long that are full of, full, of, full of spinal fluids. So when they're done, you're in the hospital for eight hours because all your spinal fluids are going to have to regenerate. So if you happen to move or um, something jarring for you on your body within eight hours, you're going to have a severe um, CNS headache because you, the spinal fluids really cushion your, bo- cushion your brain and everything in your central nervous system which is depleted now. So now you have that problem when you can't move for a while to regain the, uh, the spinal fluids. But with the spinal fluids, they are checking in for proteins that are uh, antibodies that are fighting your body to, for MS. It doesn't take long to diagnose. So I think within that eighth hour, the doctor came in and said, well, come in, just want to let you all know that you know you do have MS. Um, and, the, and the physician was in, in tears because he's never seen, because I'm, I'm the opposite of the typical, I guess you say, MS patient. It's usually older white women. I'm a young black guy. <laughs> so it's like You just it, didn't fit the demographic. No, not were, at all. Not at all. For. So like I was that I was that person that's very outside the box. Which was uh and, and when I was diagnosed, it's just just the, the, the process of getting there. So when I was diagnosed, I really didn't know what MS was or is. So that's when it goes to the part of medication. So my thing is, okay, so now I know I have MS, so now what is next? What's what's the next step? Well, we have this medication. You take a shot every day. Okay, I can do that. Like, I don't, I'm not afraid of needles. I don't want to take a shot every day, but I, I know how I feel right now by having it mess. So if it gets me better, then that's fine. So uh, the, the medication I was taking was a shot every day, which I was taking a – so let me back up. So figured it out January 1st. Was going back to school January 5th. By then, the medication came in. I had a whole suitcase of medication going back to college. My mom was like, hey, just stay at home and be still. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not, I, I have to go. I can't stay here with you all. Like, well, this mom's is, worried. They want you to. Yeah, exactly. Stay at home. And, you know, she wants to cook for me and, you know, <laughs> and pamper me and all that good stuff. But that would have killed me. That would have made it worse, if anything. Right. So uh, I said, I got to go back to my normal life. Um, as normal as it can be taking a suitcase full of medications. Suitcase, back to yeah, absolutely. Your so I was, I was kind of worried going down 59 if I was going to get pulled over and, you know, drug <laughs> trafficking. But it's like, no, nah, you know, just go ahead and go back. So we, uh, so I got back to school and it was, and the suitcase of medication was just a whole box, probably like a foot and a half by a foot full of uh, vials. One box has vials of sterile water, one box has vials of um, medication for effects, and another box has syringes. So I had to figure out how to, one, mix up the medication between the, the syringes, the water, and the vials, and also learn how to take a shot properly um, to where sometimes I'll take those shots to where they didn't take well because I did them too light in my skin. It was, it was sub-Q, so I didn't go deep enough, or I went too deep. It was just, just a whole a learning curve that was crazy. But to say the progression, 
between 99 and 2017 have been tremendous, which goes back to BP being a big uh, donor and sponsor to everything that's going I take on. You're, you're not taking shots every day still. No, I'm not. I'm not. So I went from a shot every day to a shot every three days to now a tablet twice a day. A little bit better than a shot. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So instead of trying to plan that shot out every night, because it it, I would take it at night. And to let you know more about the shots and when you take the side effects were extreme flu-like symptoms. When I say extreme, like, you know, when you have the flu and you have the body aches, the chills, the fever, the runny nose, the headaches, that happened every night. So it, was, it, was, so it didn't make it really user-friendly for the next night to take it over again because you know what's going to happen. But you know the possibility of having another, another exacerbation as you go, go forward without having the medication in your system. So, it was, so now to the progression to where I'm taking two tablets a day, I've, I've been taking it for like five or six years to where I, haven't, I don't remember or recall having any exacerbation since I started taking this medication. And the side effects are mental. It's like flushing. Which is like somebody that's taking some kind of nice and or something. If you drink too many Red Bulls, you're gonna have this flushing. Um, this is something that the progression and the money that's from the BP, the MS150, all the donations are going to this to where it's, it's getting closer and closer to where like it's like a non-issue in having MS because you have medications that are actually helping that much to where we were speaking about a cure to where it depends on what you think of a cure to be, such as like um, a physician was saying this in his talk that we were having. Or would a cure be just on the side of just you being able to maintain or, or um, and not have symptoms, or is a cure to completely wipe it out? Which one would you pick? Of course, I'm picking the wipeout situation, so I'm gonna take any tablets. But right. it's cured enough to where I have a medication with sustaining me to have a live a normal life. So that's that's one progression that I've seen personally. Um, and almost and part, of that, part of that normal life, you've been doing the MS-150, the bike ride from Houston to Austin, two-day event for how many years now? Right. This will be my seventh year. So even, even diagnosed and dealing with MS, you're able to get out there and... Yeah, and have a good time. Have a good time. Um, it's, it's something that is... I, I've kinda, I'm kind of uh, on both sides of the fence because I, I have some friends who have MS who are wheelchair-bound, and I... I I feel for them also, um, but on the side to where I have to live my own life, but then too, I know I still have MS also. So I have the the relapse readmitting symptoms of, of MS to where it's not de- degenerative, to where I'm not getting to the point to where I can't move around, to where there's different levels of MS that you may have, to where the one that I have, the relapse readmitting, to where I, I take a, not advantage of it, but I take it as a gift to where I can still move around, do more, and do more for MS Society for somebody who has a degenerative part of the disease to try to help them get to the point to where we have a cure for that and get them back walking and biking such as I am. Yeah, that's just a, a powerful story that you have there. And I'm, I'm, ass- I'm assuming, Justin, you have all kinds of ambassadors. I mean, any number of people like like Micah here that are have been diagnosed, that are getting involved with the MS National MS Society, uh, but that are also physically capable of competing, uh, completing the ride. Yeah, and kind of speaking on that too, one of the uh, facets that the society focuses on, we sort of have three um, sort of buckets that we share with people as far as where the money goes, if you will, and that's stop, restore, and end. And basically what that means is um, you know, focusing on stopping the progression of the disease for those that have been diagnosed. But the important part of that is uh, the restore part in the middle of that, and that's actually restoring lost function that somebody may have lost over time. So that's getting people that are in wheelchairs walking again or getting um, – them able to write again. Maybe they've lost dexterity in their in their fingers. So to being able to write again, and we're seeing those changes happen now. 
Um, so I think to Micah's point on uh, what a, a cure can be, I mean, I think a lot of it can be semantics. But to me, if you can restore a lot of lost function that somebody may have gotten over the progression of the disease, we're getting pretty close. And then obviously the last bucket there is just in the, you know, stop, restore and end. And that's basically just ending the disease forever. So if we can stop any progressions of the disease starting today, um, then that would essentially mean a cure, you know, five years down the road where those, those, um, symptoms haven't progressed any anymore right. so and getting people on bikes and uh and riding and i think mike is a great example of you know we do have uh, people that actually live with ms that are out there riding the uh, bpms 150 um i know everybody makes excuses to not ride <laughs> um but when you see people like mike and others out there that have ms that are riding uh really you don't have any more excuses left in the book to not be out there and participating so i think they serve as a as a as a real inspiration for for people that don't have ms that are r- making all these excuses on why they can't get out there and ride yeah and i think i got guilted into my first year riding i uh i was i was still in decent decent shape but i think i had three 30 minute sessions on the indoor trainer before the the actual ride and it was it was doable it's manageable it, any any anybody can get out there and, and finish this and if you can't like Micah said we we talked to earlier about the the sag wagons that if you if you need not that Micah would take a sag wagon but if you need that extra help to get to the well. next station it's <laughs> uh, so any level of rider can get out there and, right. and do it and do it safely too that's yeah and the whole point is uh, it's you know it's not you, people f- still feel like that we uh, you sign up for the event we get out there and we kick you out at Houston and say we'll see you in 150 miles and that's absolutely not the case at all I, my kind of trick question for everybody is how many route options are there for the BPMS 150 and I uh, say over 150 because you can literally stop at any mile along the route if you're done um, and the universal sign is take your helmet off and then that big beautiful white beacon of white hope will come <laughs> pick you up and whisk you away to the next rest stop or so on and so forth and you can ride from there if you're done for the day you know, go ahead and continue for sagging forward to the finish line. So people can really make the event what they want. You know, a lot of people don't train what they feel like they were going to for the ride. And so, and that's okay. Um, you know, again, it's about the fundraising and getting out there for the awareness for multiple sclerosis. We don't promote, uh, I mean, we don't advertise any of the, uh, sag wagon attendees. So, uh, <laughs> we don't post your names or, you know, it's not a race. Um, we pride ourselves on it being a tour. It's a ride. Um, the average, you know, mile per hour is about 12 miles per hour. Our young Youngest age is 12. I think our oldest rider is uh, 89, almost 90. So we welcome everybody, not not avid cyclists. It's anybody that wants to get out there and do something for MS. Oh, and then you've got the crazy teams that are just booking it all the way and the triathletes that get to LaGrange at the end of day one and then go run a 12 mile just to just to just to right. get all the kinks out. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's those for sure, but uh, I, I would say a majority of the of the population that does the event are just people that want to get out and have a good time. Yeah, uh, those are the underachievers. Those guys <laughs> would do that. Yeah, uh, we talked about the kind of predictable problems arising, not training enough. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going out there and you didn't train enough, you're probably going to have some hardships along the way. What about the unpredictable conditions that y'all have to prepare for? Um, and in the last two years, that would be weather. And weather was a it shut down day two or day one last year and day two the the year before that. So 13,000 riders. How does the BPMS 150 manage the safety of 13,000 riders with a unpredictable storm that rolls through, which has happened? Absolutely. And I will say, I mean, you know, the society takes the weather very, very seriously. And we do ride in rain and we do ride in some inclement weather. Um, but we do have a threshold, obviously lightning and then the severity of which the, the, their thunderstorms and then, uh, the severity and, and what's, you know, coming behind it and, and so on and so forth. But we have a strong team of meteorologists that we, uh, work with very, very closely, uh, that whole week leading up to the event. Um, and we get all kind of analyses 
expertise and things that are way above my head, but really get recommendations from all sorts of weather professionals on, okay, here's what to expect in certain areas. And we're very specific about those areas. And, um, you know, not just looking at the general weather, you know, it's going to rain, but specifically where it's going to rain, how much, what is the, you know, all of the intricacies that go along with uh, climate control. So, you know, we're not the experts by any means, but I, I will say we do a great job of, of uh, enlisting the experts to make sure that we're making the right call. And we do take it very seriously and understand less. I mean, we understand it displaces a lot of people when we uh, have to cancel uh, uh, one day of the event. Um, and we've been very fortunate, I will say, over the 33 years that this ri uh, ride has been around that we haven't had to do that that much. Now, I will say we've had a, a, a bad run these last two years, but it makes it fun for team captains to have to <laughs> organize right. and get, get your whole team, your, your chickens all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I tell people too, it took them two years to, to complete a whole uh, BPMS yeah. 150 because we <laughs> right. did uh, day one uh, two years ago and then day two uh, last year or, yeah. or vice, vice versa. versa yeah. yeah. But uh, no, and, and uh, when we did call those events, the weather was, uh, would not have been rideable. So we made the right call in that aspect. But mm -hmm. um, just understanding that we do recognize the teams put a ton of money and effort into, uh, you know, getting tents and caterers and, and all that goes into that. But um, we do too as a society. And so uh, we don't want to cancel it any more than, um, you know, a team wants to be out there and riding. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, safety has to be our number one concern. Like I said, we, we have to be able to have this event next year and the year after. And so um, taking any kind of risks like that with the weather would, would drastically hurt those chances of doing that. Yeah. And we spoke a little bit before I, I had actually said it for years, but then you, you said exactly what I'd say. It's, it's a fundraising event that has a ride attached to it. And mm -hmm. I think people get a little too attached to the, well, it's, it's the ride and that's all I'm, I'm focused on, but it, it really is a fundraising event for a great cause to help fight and eliminate MS. Yeah. And the, and the beautiful thing is, is look, we'll have one next year. So, uh, <laughs> you know, just get back out there and, and, and train and, and, and uh, stay an advocate for the ride and, uh, we'll have one next year. So we're slated for some great weather. We did move the ride back a few weeks, uh, this year based on, um, Easter and, uh, Mother's Day. And right up against things, OTC. So. Thank you for uh, really <laughs> cramming it. <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, give everybody two extra weeks to train. But, yeah. uh, uh, so we'll hope, you know, it's Texas, it's the weather, everything. I think most people understand like, you know, it is what it is, but um, understand it displaces some people, but we, we make the, the best call that we can. And we're, we stuck by our decisions in the past and I'm sure we'll continue to do so in the future. And throw a little bit of a curveball at you as far as the safety and security of the ride. Um, what about malicious intent? I, I didn't experience it myself, but I heard a few years back on the, uh, the Bechtel challenge route, somebody had thrown tacks or nails or something out mm -hmm. there uh, ahead of the riders yeah yeah i mean i think I, and i think there's always going to be that you know disgruntled you know citizen or something or they don't want us coming through or don't like some of the practices that we we do or th things like that but um we have beefed up and, and and in lieu of other events uh you know disasters we have definitely beefed up you know security and things of that nature but i think one thing that we do a lot better of now to prevent those things is actually have sweepers that go out literally just hours before the ride so it's not the day before or a few days before where they're marking the route but actually leaving at you know three o'clock in the morning that you know, the, the ride time and going out and literally. I thought about that a few years before. You should have a sponsored sweeper with the, you know, with yeah. the logo on the side. Yeah, and be just absolutely. the guy that just, cool. just cruises out yeah. in front. And then <laughs> absolutely. So, and so I think, and, and also too, just to, it, it just makes it all around. I think the riders have really been appreciative of it as well, knowing absolutely. that um, there's somebody out there that's kind of looking out for them right before they pass through. So, and then also again with that, it just goes with um, getting the local support of the community where your law enforcement's out there looking for those folks too. You really want those people on your side too, to just sort of be your eyes and ears um, that know the the route or know those roads, um, those rural areas to be able to watch out for that. Or if there's there's been problems in the past to be uh, let us aware of that or just to be stay vigilant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I know it's a, 
a, a requirement to go through some of these towns, but the, the law enforcement's out there in full force. They're, they're mm-hmm. you know, managing traffic, they're watching security, safety, and everything else, and they're also just really nice. They're very appreciative of the riders coming through. There. Yeah, and a lot of these guys have been doing it for years and years. Um, a lot of the riders notice it's uh, a lot of the same uh, police officers at some of those same intersections year after year, so um, those guys you know, become a part of the family of the event. So it's really nice to see those repeat uh, law enforcement, be it, you know, even not just law enforcement, but the medical staff and nurses that help too. There are a lot of repeat volunteers and uh, um, it just makes the event, you know, that much more close knit. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, um, we talked about earlier, we do a, a Red Wing safety tip of the week and we're going to throw it to you. Uh, what do you have for the audience for the Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week? Yeah, so I'm going to throw it's – it's an important one, especially with uh, our event, the BPMS 150, because we do have, you know, so many thousands of people out there. But um, I would just remind everybody that ride two abreast um, that, and not to impede traffic. Uh, that tends to be a, a hard one to remember, especially when we've got all of our friends and family riding with us um, that we want to be talking in commutative and, and communal. But um, two abreast is the rule, and it does allow for the passing lane for cars. So um, – Please, please, please uh, enforce that and, and keep others uh, honest on, on that note. Yeah, and like you said, we want the communities that we're riding through to want us back every year. And riding to abreast and allowing, allowing traffic to get through is important. Hmm. So, great, great tip. Um, that brings us to our Red Wing Offshore Bag winner. And this week's winner is... Adam Mazzola with Plains All-American. He's a commercial analyst over there. Congratulations, Adam. You are this week's winner of the Red Wing Offshore Bag. For your chance to win one of these great bags, you can go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. See official site for rules and details and enter for your chance to win this awesome bag. So, Justin, Micah, this has been great. I really appreciate you bringing us into your office and talking about you know, the, the National MS Society and what y'all do, and also the BPMS 150, which I've been a part of for several years, that is just a, a great charity event, great ride, and, you know, fits right in with the Oil and Gas HSC podcast because the, the safety and security of the ride I has been top-notch. So thank you all very much for, for doing this, uh, having us on the show, or having y'all on the show. Absolutely. I just would be remiss if I didn't say, um, if you do want to make a donation to the society, you can go to bpms150.net. Uh, make a donation to an individual if you know riding or just as a general donation to the event so yeah absolutely and we'll put that in the show notes so people can go and, and just click on there throw a donation yeah. like i said if you know a rider put the rider number in there um, um there's one named michael love right, michael love. riding yeah absolutely <laughs> you know one rider now if you yeah didn't know him absolutely before. and he has ms also so it's great cause yeah there you yeah. go yeah. tax deductible yes sir absolutely yes, so sir. yeah go on there and make your tax deductible donation um, and um, we got to talk about the uh, Oil and Gas Global Network, the LinkedIn group. Jake, you want to tell us about that? Jake is still here, by the way. I'm still here. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just taking it all in. Uh, yeah, so the Oil and Gas Global Network LinkedIn group is, I don't know, what is it up to? 1,600 members? Yeah. Somewhere it's... roughly in there. So we get a lot. Uh, the Facebook group is growing slowly but steadily. I think we're right at like 100 or so. Um, so if you want to get involved in the conversation with either one of those, you want to find out more information about new shows, whether it's Oil and Gas This Week or Oil and Gas HS&E, uh, or Oil and Gas Industry Leaders, or anything else that's really going on in our world, uh, or if you guys just want to communicate amongst each other, hop on one of those, join one, join both. Uh, it's a good way to kind of stay plugged in. Absolutely. And we've got some events coming up. We've got the Texas Open Invitational Conference. That is probably going to happen before this episode airs, but that's uh, that's coming up. The SPE HSE Conference, um, April 18th through the 20th in New Orleans. 
uh, OTC, uh, May 1st through the 4th. Um, we are going to be at the NOV Shrimp Boil. Jake will be yep. there. We'll be on the yeah. microphone talking to people. Um, of course, uh, the BP MS-150, April 29th through the 30th. And we're not 100% sure what we're going to do with that, but we may be in LaGrange with the show. We may be in Austin. We may be in both. Um, but we'd love to get Micah sure. you know, after your uh, dog tired, after your uh, ride, get you on the microphone and, and talk about how it was. No problem. Absolutely. No problem. We'll be there. And if you all have any trade organizations, any company events, any conferences, any, uh, you know, if you're part of a university, you want Jake or Mark or Paige or myself to come out and, and speak to you all, just uh, sure. shoot us an email, let us know. Um, we'll try and get you uh, on the schedule, which is filling up pretty quickly. I think we have literally a dozen schools. This is turning into a full university tour across the U.S. <laughs> yeah, Jake and Mark are going to be very busy, and uh, <laughs> very, very busy. I don't think the HSE show gets enough love. You know, I want to, I want to go to and, and <laughs> maybe, we'll th- maybe we'll throw you a university. Yeah. <laughs> <by> way, yeah. <laughs> um, so that uh, unless y'all have anything else you want to want to talk about, uh, Micah, is there any way we can reach out to you? Um, uh, whether it's your donation page, your LinkedIn profile, anything? Absolutely. Um, everything is under Micah Love um, for the in the BP MS one fifty. You can go through that um, website for the MS-150. That's Micah, um, M-I-C-A-H. L-O-V-E, as in I love everybody. <laughs> um, and also through um, Twitter, uh, my handle is Mike, M-I-K-E-L-U-V, the number is 88. And also for um, for uh, Instagram, it's Mike Love with 18 and L-U-V, L-U-V with 18. Or also, uh, what's, le- what's left? Facebook, it's Micah Love, yeah. <laughs> You're all over the place. I'm all over the place. Just <laughs> trying to um, good to be social. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and be a part of the media. Um, that's that's where you can find. My, it's not too hard to find me, and yeah. I'm in Houston, so uh, it's it's pretty easy and simple. We'll put all your contact information in there, and a okay. link to your donation page, and as well as the uh, National MS the BPMS 150 Great. donation page as well. Thanks. Um, again, thanks for coming out, um, and I think that brings us to a close. You got anything else, Jake? That should be it, man. All right. Well, uh, y'all be safe out there. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. So with the exacerbations to where you have different things come up, like I've had complete complete paralysis on my right side, had uh, I would call it a neuropathic headache to where this is a headache that I thought I was having a stroke actually um, or, or aneurysm. This is when I was first um, engaged and we were speaking about the marriage and, and wedding. I think one one big trigger of uh, <laughs> don't of, say, don't say it don't of MS. <laughs> no, it, w- it wasn't that. <laughs> I think I had the same thing happen. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, I don't even have MS. <laughs> right, so it's like the, it was. It wasn't that, but I think the stress of all that and just the the as a guy who's uh, I got married when I was thirty.